The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Thank you so much for joining us today on Afternoons with Mike on this day after MLK Day, which a national holiday took place yesterday. I know a lot of people were off and a lot of people weren't off. Whatever your condition was, uh, here we are on this Tuesday. It also happens to be the day following the much-anticipated Iowa caucuses that actually happened last night in what would have to be some of the most miserable weather conditions for any caucus in Iowa history. I think I heard one report last night that some of the wind chills were minus 40. I don't know if you've ever been in an area where that happens. I know I'm from Indiana and we would have wind chill factors, the worst of which in my home state was minus 60 during one blizzard that we had. Imagine the wind chill factor minus 60 in southern Indiana, but that's what happened. And the air temperature was minus 23. So uh, this had to be a miserable night for all of those that were venturing out in that cold in Iowa to go to these caucuses and to cast their vote. And as it turns out, it was a historic day for Iowa in the sense that Donald J. Trump, former President Trump, was narrowly denied, according to the headline that is out there right now on Fox News, for example. Uh, Trump narrowly denied a clean sweep of Iowa's 99 counties by a single vote. Imagine that one vote. And I think that one was uh, cast for Nikki Haley. Uh, kept Donald Trump from sweeping every single county in Iowa, in the state of Iowa. And he won by over 50%. I think it was like about 51%. And you know, it's interesting to me to watch all of this because in keeping up with it last evening, that question as to whether or not Trump would win by a margin of 50% seemed to be, especially on those that would be on the progressive left, seemed to be like the uh, determining factor on whether or not it was going to be an expectation uh, that he would have to win it all. And, and it, man, a lot of people were saying that if he didn't win by 50%, then he would have fallen short, even though uh, he more than doubled what happened in 2016. He more than doubled that last night, and it was indeed over 50%. Although, interestingly enough, the newscasts, the headlines on the web are not talking about that. They are not emphasizing that he won by over 50%. It's like this is being spun, and I, I know that's not a surprise. It really shouldn't be a surprise to us. So these are big days from a Christian worldview perspective. We need to be aware that what is happening around us is upsetting to a lot of people. At the same time, what is happening around us in this Iowa election is exciting for a lot of people. And I'm talking about right now just the conservative friends that we have. I think there's a great split even in the conservatives, uh, what would be the Republican Party. There's a lot going on. And, and speaking of a lot going on, in Central Florida today, there is a special election. It's going on right now for uh, the replacement of uh, Representative Hawkins. And uh, this was going on with the primary earlier in January and now uh, the main uh, general election for that special election is going on throughout this afternoon. So a lot of Orlandoans, because that uh, section that Representative Hawkins uh, presided over is the east part of Orlando. So that's going on today. They haven't even had time to really digest everything that took place last night because all the tension is now upon what is going on in that uh, special election? Uh, 
So with all of this, I, I often, I uh, so enjoy, and you hear me talk about him a lot, uh, Reverend Al Moeller has a daily podcast called The Briefing, and it uh, delivers to my inbox every morning. It is one of the things that I keep track of because of all of the voices that are out there that we could be listening to, and we need to listen to some voices, and I think we have to be careful about listening to others. But his voice is one that I've come to believe is is very helpful he has a really great biblical handle on this whole thing called a Christian worldview that I believe we can real benefit from, really benefit from it. And today his thoughts are just amazing. So I'm going to play a lengthy clip with permission from Albert Moeller. And this is again from this morning's The Briefing as he talks about what took place last night in Iowa. Well, now we know the Iowa caucuses were held last night and Donald Trump, the former president of the United States, came through with a smashing victory, earning more than 50 percent of the vote. This was even higher than many had anticipated. And it comes after numerous indictments, criminal charges and all the rest. And it just goes to prove right now that Donald Trump is the dominant political personality in the United States of America. We should note that that is exactly what Donald Trump set out to be. And his achievement is spectacular when you consider the background to the 2024 race. There is something about Donald Trump with the Republican electorate, and Iowa made that point abundantly clear. With about 95% of the caucus vote in, Donald Trump led with 51%. Now, that's not only a plurality, that is a majority. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis came in a distant second with 22,437 votes. That's only 21.3%. And former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley came in with what just a few days ago would have been considered a rather strong showing with 19.1%. Now, that means that DeSantis and Haley are separated by less than three percentage points. Now, in analysis, there are several big stories here. And as I said, the first big story is the strength of Donald Trump as a candidate in the 2024 race for the Republican presidential nomination. At this point, and the polling has indicated this for weeks, indeed for months, at this point, the nomination in 2024 is clearly Donald Trump's to lose. And it's also true at this point that it's hard to imagine how he will lose it. There may be unforeseen circumstances. By definition, they're unforeseen. But at this point, even the criminal charges against Donald Trump have not put a dent in his political support. If anything, it can be argued that that political support has solidified and it has widened. At least some of the preliminary reports coming out of Iowa indicate that there was unexpected strength for Donald Trump as a candidate among college-educated Republican caucusgoers. And so we really are looking at a very interesting pattern. In Iowa, at least at this point, it looks like the urban, suburban, rural differentiation does matter. As you look at the suburban areas, that's where you have alternatives to Donald Trump who ran stronger. But nonetheless, even as much of Iowa is rural, the reality is that in the entire state, Donald Trump emerged absolutely victorious. And then you have the second tier. And the second tier is Governor DeSantis and former Governor, former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley. And in this case, you have what you might call a dual story. When it comes to the Iowa caucuses, DeSantis and Haley did not have what you might call equal skin in the game. It's just not even. And that's because Ron DeSantis's entire candidacy, the future of any plausibility to his presidential race for the Republican nomination, it came down to at least placing second in Iowa. If DeSantis had not placed second, it's hard to imagine how he could have gone forward. As for Nikki Haley, she has been, at least in recent days, growing in the polling. And in this case, she did come very close within, say, three points And that's with 95% of the caucuses reporting, 95% of the vote in. It appears that she's within about three points. Now, DeSantis presented himself as having policies basically very similar to Donald Trump, but with a different character, a different personality, a different approach. 
Nikki Haley actually represents some different policies, and that's true both in terms of domestic policy, but even more so when it comes to international policy. That's where some ironies come to the fore, since Nikki Haley was Donald Trump's ambassador to the United Nations. That's where she got her international experience. So Donald Trump emerges as the victor, and Ron DeSantis emerges as still a candidate. Nikki Haley emerges as someone who did stronger than would have been expected a matter of just days ago in Iowa. And we are going into her territory with the New Hampshire primary coming next Tuesday. So that's just a week from today. And if anything, the New Hampshire primary is likely to further thin the ranks of the Republican candidates. Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, has not run much of a campaign in New Hampshire as compared to others. And you also have the fact that in New Hampshire, you have very strong support for Nikki Haley from, for instance, the Republican governor. That governor is Chris Sununu, who's known as a fairly moderate Republican, much like his father, who was also governor of the state, John Sununu, who became chief of staff to President George H.W. Bush. Now, that's a convoluted story in itself. But Sununu has endorsed Nikki Haley, a fellow governor, and has not endorsed Ron DeSantis. Nikki Haley is running very strongly in the state of New Hampshire and has a strong campaign presence there. But going back to Iowa, Ron DeSantis followed the traditional pattern of ground mobilization and political organization there in Iowa. He himself visited all the counties in the state. He spent a great deal of time in Iowa. The big question is, will it pay off? But of course, there's a bigger question. And the bigger question is, does it really matter who comes in as number two or who comes in as number three in this race for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination? Because at this point, to be honest, it's not really likely to matter. Now, there were a couple of other twists to the developments of the last several days. For one thing, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie dropped out of the race. Christie was a more moderate Republican, to be sure. But he had also, at one point, been basically an ally to Donald Trump. Now, remember that Trump was in New York. Meanwhile, Christie was the governor of New Jersey. And remember, Trump and the casino business and all the rest has big interests in New Jersey. And there appeared to be something of a friendly relationship between Trump and Christie. As a matter of fact, it was considered at one point plausible that Christie might be his running mate in the 2016 presidential election. But things have gone very sour in the relationship between the former New Jersey governor, who's also, by the way, a former United States attorney, and the former president of the United States. Chris Christie entered the race for the 2024 Republican nomination, saying that he was doing so basically just to derail Trump's path to the 2024 nomination. Now, he's been spectacularly unsuccessful in doing that. Just to state the matter as plainly as possible, there was absolutely no chance that Chris Christie would have been the 2024 Republican nominee. But he wanted to play a role in the primary process, and he basically has because it is arguable that his exit from the race is an advantage to Nikki Haley. Now, will it be? It may be hard to tell. But nonetheless, you are looking at a thinning of the ranks. One more dropped out last night. Vivek Ramaswamy, a capitalist, an investor, a financier who was very well known as running an untraditional campaign for the 2024 presidential nomination. He came in number four, by the way, but he came in a distant fourth and he came to the conclusion that he would suspend his campaign. Meanwhile, largely forgotten, former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson who, as of the caucuses themselves, was still in the race, came in with less than one percentage point. To state the matter, obviously, it's hard to imagine why he continues in the race. Then again, it was almost as hard to imagine why he got into the race. But you have people who will get into this kind of race for a couple of reasons, and I want to state this explicitly. Some people who run for president aren't actually running for president. They're running for something else. And a presidential campaign of one sort or another, with all the stuff that comes with a campaign, and especially with the media attention and press appearances, that's a way of presenting one's own name and one's own brand. And as I've stated before in the briefing, some of these candidates aren't really running for president. They're running for some kind of commentary slot on cable news. Now, at this point, it's important to say that we will know more about the results from the Iowa caucuses as the day unfolds today. 
So that was Al Mohler, Reverend Al Mohler, from the briefing today. You can hear the briefing daily at albertmohler.com. And his viewpoints, again, are just so spot on. And he's right. We're going to learn a lot more about what happened last night as the day goes on. But right now, uh, for the next uh, few minutes, this segment, and then on into our segment Two, I've got on the line with me Erin Huntley. She is the chair for the Orange County Republican Party. And Erin, welcome to the program. It's great to have you on, first of all. But this has got to be for you a crazy day because of a special election that's going on right now, right? That's right. Not only is it the day after the Iowa caucuses, but it's a special election day in Orange and Osceola County for State House seat 35, which was previously occupied by Representative Hawkins, who now has a new job, and it uh, has a special election today. So we're looking forward to a lot of Republican Election Day turnout and hopefully keep this seat conservative. Well, I know that you guys, your party and any party for this matter, is very careful to be a part of the whole and trying to build a whole team. I can only imagine how difficult that job is in a in a country like ours right now, where there seems to be almost a divide even in the Republican Party in terms of strong feelings for one candidate over here and strong feelings for another candidate over there. That's got to be a challenge, right? It's definitely a challenge, but I try to frame it as we all may not agree on certain viewpoints, but generally we do, and it's our job to fight the Democrats and defeat them at the polls and to, um, you know, accept the 80 percent of the time that we all get along on the Republican side. Well, that's a great way to look at it. And we, we, we do have a, a bigger, my dad used to say this, we have bigger fish to fry. And, you know, the infighting inside of any one per- political party really should be put aside in my mind because of just the bigger picture that's out there our country there's without a doubt and one doesn't have to be uh really on the edge of let's say keeping up with everything that's going on politically in the country to realize there are some serious problems in our nation right now when you consider the border situation when you consider inflation. There's a a lot going on that wasn't here three years ago, but now it's front and center. And I don't know if you were surprised, Aaron. I was surprised to see that with all of the talk about economy, what the Iowans voted for uh, as their most pressing issue was that of the border and immigration. Yes, I believe that when you have special elections, there's a lot of door knocking going on for the candidates. And when we've been at doors talking to voters, the top three issues always have been, especially in this area, uh, border security, inflation, and education, and keeping education uh, career and future focused instead of indoctrination. And, you know, that is, those are the top three. Every person talks about those three. And they're impacting people day in and day out. You know, you look at inflation when it first started, a lot of us thought, oh, it'll just be a little, you know, hiccup. And no, it's been ongoing and steadily climbing. And it makes it hard for families that are trying to stretch their dollars and make different decisions, you know, month in and month out. You know, you can cut things one month, but if inflation keeps going up, there's only so many things left to cut. Right. There's only so many areas that we can do that kind of cutting in without it really making a negative impact on us all. Erin Huntley is with me. I'll be back with her in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Hang on. We'll be right back. If you're a Christian business person and you want to meet people who want to do business with you, you need to join the Central Florida Christian Chamber of Commerce. Why? Because the mission of the Christian Chamber is to build kingdom, business, and community. And it all starts with the Christian principle of building relationships. To learn more about the Christian Chamber and all the different ways you can get engaged with hundreds of other Central Florida Christian business people, visit cfchristianchamber.com or call 407-258-3570. On the line with me right now is Aaron Huntley. Aaron is the Orange County Republican chair. And uh, boy, this has been a very busy day. A lot of people are trying to assimilate and break down and look at all the numbers that happened from the Iowa caucus, which is 
Obviously, the first of the major stops now for the 2024 presidential election. And uh, the general election, of course, will happen in November. Uh, the states will be having primaries leading up like what happened yesterday. Uh, and in fact, uh, it's not going to be on a long time before the next big stop, which is one week from today in New Hampshire. They have their primary there. And then a couple of what is it? A couple of weeks later, uh, South Carolina will go. So these are the days that a lot of changes are going to come to the the whole process you're going to hear, especially this year because of the Republicans being not in the White House. This is going to be a, a very, very interesting two to three weeks. Aaron Huntley, again, you're very busy today going probably from site to site because of what's happening on this day. Another election. It's a special election. Talk, talk to us, if you will, about this particular process and the fact that a special election like this can it, it, it kind of grabs people at a time when they're not really geared to thinking about an election. And we know that uh, some off-year elections are low in attendance. How are things shaping up with this being a special election? Yeah, special elections do tend to have lower turnout. This one is hovering around 15% right now in Orange and Osceola County. We expect that to go up as Folks get out of school and work and are able to head to the polls before they close at 7 p.m. But the special elections um, are critical, and I really encourage people to learn about them and make sure that they participate if they're in their area, because it's really important for people to participate in elections all the way from president all the way through their local municipalities. And a lot of people will blame a lot of the things that are going on on the White House or Congress or the Senate, but there's a lot of the local impacts that you and I have to live with day in and day out are due to state-level decisions as well as local decisions. So I encourage people to stay engaged so they can make sure that their voice is heard. We've all seen, Aaron, the importance that statewide politics, uh, especially with uh, the overturning of Roe versus Wade last year, uh, and uh, that, that whole big decision, it's been now a year, what, a year and a half almost. I guess it is a year and a half since that happened. But with that, that thing going back now, that whole discussion going back to states, we've seen this renewed uh, emphasis on what's been there all along. The fact that our state legislators, our state representatives, our state senators, they all carry an immensely important role in our whole life, week to week, right? Yes, they do. And this special election is for a Florida State House seat. So that's why we believe that the Democrats are pouring a lot of money into this is because they've really made it a lot about the abortion issue. A lot of the commercials are, you know, we need to get Florida back to pro-choice and all of that. And so they're weaponizing this as one of their key turning points for moving the needle back towards more liberal policies for the state of Florida. Obviously, the voters of Florida don't agree with that, but um, we have a supermajority right now in the Florida legislature, so we're able to make uh, these changes that we'd like that reflect conservative values. But the Democrats would really like to get rid of the supermajority, so it makes it harder for us to pass laws that are family-friendly. You know, I think that is such a, a really good point. Uh, the fact that, in fact, let me just say, because of the fact that you are talking to us while you're literally en route, and I'm grateful you're doing that. So that, for our listeners' sake, uh, that's why there is some road noise going on, is that Erin is, uh, she's basically being very careful driving right now, but she's multitasking, friends, and I'm grateful that she's willing to do that for us. Uh, the, yeah, these, are, these are times that we need to be looking at these issues and pray for our leaders in Tallahassee and all throughout the state where they are because of the fact that these are issues that carry immense impact. And I know even beyond the reps and the senators, uh, there's the this whole Supreme Court that is right now poised. I know there's a big decision yet to come with the whole uh, six-week versus 15-week decision that is yet to come. Do you have any word or any recent uh, findings uh, that would affect that decision? No, I think we're all 
waiting for that ruling as well as um, the ballot initiative that's going on in Florida as well to put uh, the right to abortion on the ballot. Yes. So there's a lot of moving pieces, and we know that the people we elect have done their job to pass laws that reflect what Florida voters want. And we believe that the courts will uphold that as well. We believe it because of what's written in the Florida Constitution. But we have to wait for those rulings to come out. And um, it's really interesting when you talk about the Florida Constitutional Amendment to allow abortion in the state, that there's just a lot of debate whether the word viability is um, standard and customary for everyone. And, you know, everyone thinks of that definition differently. So it makes it hard and difficult for a ballot initiative. So we'll see what the Supreme Court says about all those items. But what I would encourage people to do is if there's any issue that motivates you to, um, you know, that gets you your blood boiling or if you're like, I really need to keep praying about something, pray about it and read God's word and see what he has to say about specific issues. But also don't expect that, um all these things happen just on their own. Know that there's a lot of people that volunteer to make sure that the right people are elected in our state all the way up and down the ballot. And you can be part of that process too. And we'd love to have more people come out and help. There's so many different opportunities for people to get involved. Uh, We have people who make phone calls. We have people who do texting. We have people who register voters. We have people who poll watch. We have other groups nonprofits in Orange County can register their group with the supervisor of elections and actually work the polling location and make a couple thousand dollars for their nonprofit. So there's a lot of ways that you can get involved in the process and help and make sure that your voice is heard. And we'd love to have more people come out and help us. That sounds awesome. Now I know that there's also a big need for young people, especially those that would be in their uh, 20s and 30s, to get involved not only in in the ways that you've outlined, but some of them are capable and I think just downright needed to step up in roles of actual elected offices. What kind of process do you guys go through with regards to recruiting such individuals? So I get a lot of calls from people who are interested in running for office. And the first thing that I always say is, you know, have you ever been around a campaign before? Because I think it really, uh, looking at campaigns from the outside versus seeing them from the inside is very different. The mechanics of campaigning is different year to year because technology changes, but We need people that have good values and are able to have a strong backbone to get into office and happy to talk to people that are interested in it. You know, a lot of people come to me a couple months before an election, and really what I would encourage people to do is if you're thinking about running for office, you know, this year or in the future, pray about it, but also give yourself time. A lot of uh, these campaigns take a lot of time to organize as well as ramp up and fundraise and get out there and talk to the voters that are in your area. So the the bigger the office, the more voters there are. So either, you know, the more ground game you need or the more money you would need. But um, even small elections do require quite a bit of time. So it's always good to have a good reality check before people jump in. And I'm sure you have some people that uh, could serve as resources for those that are interested and maybe uh, go through that process of vetting and ask lots of questions of those people who are in so that they can be prepared. I would think, and I don't know, (laughs) again, this is from the cheap seats, friends, but it would seem to me like there are plenty of gotchas, plenty of surprises that could come the way of a person, first-timer, who's going out and running for office. I'm sure that that is an issue. Yes, and, you know, we do have a lot of people who mentor candidates and are able to give advice, and we're really thankful for that. And elections change, They and they're all different depending on when they are. This is a special election, so it means that there will be less turnout. But if your election is during the presidential election in November 2024, 
there's going to be a massive turnout. So you would need to make sure that um, you're running in a seat that's not, you know, upside down as compared to what your party is. Now on so that, there's a lot of yes, there's a lot of seats that are partisan, meaning there's a Republican or Democrat um, after the, your name. There's also a lot of seats that you can run for that are nonpartisan, which means you would just run, and um, people would have to look up your website or find your literature to find out more about you. Hmm. Now, on that subject of running in this uh, general election or even the primary in Florida when that comes about, so many people, Aaron, have talked about the fact that they have questions, serious questions, as to the, I guess you could say, the viability of the 2020 election. Uh, There are so many people, and of course, the news media has laid this all on Donald Trump that he's trying to overthrow and trying to cause problems from the standpoint of insurrection, etc. Although that's never been ever charged against him, those thoughts or any, if anyone at all ever had any question, it's almost an intimidation to bring those questions to bear about the legitimacy of this last election. Do you feel that Florida is in a good place as we stand now, looking forward all the way to November, that our elections in Florida will be legit from a standpoint of free from fraud? So I feel like I always tell voters to look at the difference between the years of the hanging chad in Florida to now and all the improvements that have been made from the state level all the way down to the precinct. And Florida has very secure elections. Um, Obviously, with any system, there's always improvements that could be made. There's a few election bills that are being proposed right now in Tallahassee that will enhance that, and the legislators, they will debate those elements. One is expanding early voting sites right now. The supervisor of elections must use early voting sites that are government-owned buildings. But in a lot of the newer areas of Florida, think of um, near St. Augustine, uh, Lake Nona near Orlando, the West Orlando area, a lot of the new growth areas in our state don't have the government infrastructure and the buildings near them yet. You know, it takes a while for a library to be put up. So that bill wouldn't um, change that. So then the supervisor of elections could use a different early voting site to accommodate some of these new high growth areas. Mm-hmm. Other election bills that would enhance uh, Florida's elections include um, there's one bill that would make sure that election machines are manufactured in the United States. And there's all different types of bills, but there's always improvements that could be made. But I tell people all the time, the Florida Elections are run very well. In Orange County, we have a couple hundred people that are poll watchers who go and make sure that the policies and procedures are followed per Florida statute. So, and they do a really great job and our poll workers do as well. So I I would encourage people that have questions about it to get involved and see the process so you can feel good about it. Mm -hmm. But I do um, agree that some of the other states that we watch on the news, Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, some of those issues don't happen here in Florida because we don't have the same election procedures and policies like they do. Yeah, some of those seem to be quite obvious. I mean, it seems like it was prone for fraud. And even in some situations, they brought videotape showing what looked to be uh, spurious activity going on with ballots and pulling ballots that were in boxes and you know it all seems so upsetting and a lot of people have made comments that i've heard that they wonder if the day will ever come that there is a fair and legal uh, election again for a national uh, presidential election i'm praying that we have such a thing as that for 2024 same here and you know i think if people care about that issue, I would encourage them to get involved. And if you live in Florida, you might feel good about your elections and um, can get involved here, but maybe you're concerned about other states. So you can contact your family up there in, in, say, in Pennsylvania and encourage them to be an election worker or an election observer. So I would just encourage people to get involved and don't sit on the sidelines because 
with selections to um, make sure they're run correctly at the time. There's no way to unwind things once they already happen. So be part of the process and make sure that it's fair so our voters can go out and feel confident with their vote. And even for today in this special election that's going on, I know that you would say, and with with all that's in you, you go ahead and share it about how important it is for everyone who is a registered voter, uh, registered to go and vote, that they actually get out and do that kind of, uh, of an activity of voting. That could not be more important, right? Right. It's so critical, especially in these special elections where there's lower turnout. It means that your vote counts. Um, some of these elections come down to, you know, we had one election in Orange County last year in, in 2022 that was decided by one vote. So everybody's vote matters. Encourage your neighbors to get out there with their, you. If you have an elderly neighbor, offer to give them a ride. Do whatever it takes to make sure people are able to get to the polls. But it's it means a lot more now than it ever has because our country is changing quite a bit and we need leaders who are able to make bold decisions that will bring us back to our founding principles and keep us aligned with the Constitution so we're able to, especially as Christians, um, live our biblical values. I love that. I Well said, Aaron Huntley, who is the chair of the Orange County Republicans. Thank you for taking the time. I know you're en route and we're about out of time for this segment, but I really appreciate your being here and your heart. How can people who want to find out more about getting involved in this, what website do you point them to? So my website for Orange County is orangefl.gop. And if you go on there, you can find my contact information as well as a form to get involved. And if you're from a different county, feel free to um, fill it out, and we'll send it along to the neighboring counties, um, and they can plug you in as well. There's a lot of great opportunities. Election year is going to be busy, and it's also going to be a lot of fun. Hey, I really appreciate your taking this time and uh, going forward in the future. We'd love to have you up in the studios when you're not uh, so busy tending to a special election. But it's great to have you with us, Aaron. Aaron Huntley, thank you for being here. Thank you so much. All right, and we'll be back in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. Join host Mike Gilland for The Shepherd at Work every Saturday morning at 10.05 a.m. You will be introduced to a marketplace leader that will help you learn to walk out your faith wherever you live and work. The Shepherd at Work is sponsored by the Central Florida Christian Chamber, building kingdom, business, and community throughout our area. That's The Shepherd at Work, this Saturday morning at 10.05 a.m. Back again here in Afternoons with Mike. I'm so happy that you were able to be with us today on this kind of a cool day. It's going to be really cool tomorrow, though. Uh, the weather will take a, a dive down in uh, the 50s, I think, for a high tomorrow. So we're getting to enjoy that uh, wonderful winter weather that we in Orlando and Central Florida on up into Gainesville, uh, who they are much colder than we've been up there and in Ocala as well. This is our winter time, so enjoy the break from the heat and enjoy all that's going on. Uh, as this day has gone on, we're seeing all sorts of headlines and it lets us know just exactly how divided our nation is i'm so grateful for the folks that we've already heard from in the program albert moeller in our first segment talking about what took place in iowa and the biblical worldview implications that brought then also aaron huntley from orange county republicans she's the chairperson for that uh, talking about the importance of state politics uh, and how that all of us need to be involved, as involved as we can be. A person that has often been on my program, and I talked with him in November, uh, this would have been right after the election that was in Ohio, where basically abortion was codified in Ohio. Broke the heart of a lot of the pro-lifers in that area. But uh, Aaron mentioned the fact that we also have a ballot initiative coming in November 
for us here in Florida this year. So it's important for us to kind of learn what we can learn. And Craig Huey, who is a political analyst and really an observer of all things from, again, a conservative worldview, he had a lot to say about what we need to be doing, what we need to be aware of as we get ready for this general election coming to Florida in November. Let's just take the issue of one of the tools that the radical left and the Democrats use, but the Republicans and conservatives and the Christians do not. And that's what's called, and this, this sound, uh, some people may smile at this, the influencers. Yeah. The influencers are people who Biden has a whole team of people uh, that he invites to the White House in order to build relationship with people who have a following. They may have a following of 100,000 people or half a million people or a million or 20 million people. And and they will open access to Joe Biden and any Democrat that, that these influencers would like to interview or just at least meet. They, they could be an influencer on cars. They could be an influencer on makeup. They could be an influencer. They don't have to be an influencer on politics. And these influencers, when they start sending out the messaging, they have motivate and, and activate their database. Mm-hmm. Then these people become volunteers. These people become, uh, uh, like I, I had mentioned in the previous segment about, they, they learn how to do Twitter. They learn uh, uh, how to do tweets uh, to, that, that are based upon what they're told to say. They're able to do it uh, with text messaging. They're able to do it with phoning. And they build up an army, an army of influencers who produce an even bigger army of activists, usually Gen Z, young people. And they're, they're the most active people. If you look at the Ohio victory for abortion, it was the college towns. Because the college towns, mm-hmm. they had the greatest number of people who were going door to door, making the phone, doing the texting, and organizing, and making sure that if somebody said, yeah, I'm against these Republicans who are trying to restrict a woman's right to vote. And, and then they, that person is hound dog. That person is tracked to make sure they've either given them the ballot, if it's ballot harvesting, or that they will actually uh, take them to the poll or do babysitting for them so they can go to the both poll or keep calling them and texting them and knocking on their door until they go to the poll. And so they get this huge turnout of a minority because they don't give up. But what do the conservatives do after the election? Oh, it must be voter fraud. Mm-hmm. Oh, it must be. Uh, 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 you know, uh, 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 our society just going downhill. But what did the pro-life people do? What did the conservatives, cons- uh, Christians do? Uh, what did people do with motiv- motivating the people in the church? That secret weapon, Mike, or, or uh, where, where you've got everybody who's listening, if they go to church, they've got 30% of those people maybe 40% in some churches who aren't registered to vote. And then out of those who are registered to vote in, in the upcoming election, probably about 30 to 40% of the registered people are not going to vote yeah. unless the pastors and the elders and people within the church are doing something to make sure they vote according to a biblical worldview. Yeah. And, and, and if we could do that, we will outnumber them. We will outmarket them. We will out, we will win these elections, and we'll turn America around. That's the hope. And then you back that up with prayer. You back that up uh, uh, with, with with fellowship. You've got something dynamic going on. That's what America needs right now. Now, you mentioned a couple of great points earlier when you talked about Virginia and how that uh, Governor Youngkin was trying to flip both sides. Now, going into this election, the House of Commons there, which would be kind of the equivalent of Florida's state reps, 
uh, the House of Commons were in a majority, a thin one, but they had a majority that would be on the side of the Republicans, while the state Senate in Virginia was held, again, a slim margin, but by the Democrats. And Governor Youngkin, who is a Republican, he I, I think he felt like he had a really great chance. I know he said it was going to be close. I have a feeling that he was surprised as to what happened, though, that not only did they not gain, they lost. They lost on both sides. They they did. They lost. The the, the Republican House of Delegates was split Democratic, and they kept the Senate majority. And uh, uh, the, the governor, he's a great guy. I love that guy. He's a man of faith. He's got great policies. He wants to establish school choice and so many other great things. He can't do it because of the House of Delegates and the, the state Senate. Yeah. He, so he was on uh, the right track. He even said to people, we've got to do uh, early voting because the Democrats have perfected it. But what he didn't tie together and what the Republicans did not tie together was identifying their supporters and then making sure they get to the poll. And what did the Democrats do? They used key issues. They knew who was for student loan forgiveness. They knew Mm -hmm. who was uh, for abortion. They knew who was for gun control. They knew who was for these key issues. And they worked those people to make sure they had huge turnout. What did the churches do? Nothing. What did the pastors do? Nothing. What did the uh, Republicans do? Well, they tried to get people to encourage people to go out and vote early, but they didn't knock on the doors like the Democrats did. They didn't do the texting like the Democrats did. And the low efforts they had were some great volunteers who weren't trained, but the Democrats trained their people of what to do, how to say it, and be able to make sure that they uh, – held the voters accountable yeah. where some who who they knew was going to vote their way, they made a, um, a pledge and a commitment mm. that they were going to vote. And then they wouldn't let them alone until they did. Yeah, they were tireless without a doubt, right, Craig? I mean, they were working the clock. They were not, uh, they were well-funded. And that's yeah. the other thing that I think people don't uh, think about is the fact that a lot of the progressive left, uh, uh, there's people we could name names and everyone would recognize the name. They're putting millions of dollars into this training that you're talking about, into the venues for the training that we're talking about. And they're investing all of that. And it's being stolen away from the, the conservative American majority right under our noses. And that's what's going on. Now, in the time that we have left here with you, I would love if you would for us to imagine for a moment. Now we've got lessons learned. If we could put everything that happened Tuesday night in the category of like, wow, we, we really took it on the chin on that one. Now it, it starts over. And in Florida, it is really, truly starting right now. What yep. must we do? What should people everywhere do to get ready for the onslaught in our state to prevent an Ohio from happening? People need to volunteer for a great candidate. They need to volunteer um, uh, with with the Republican Party there in Florida. They need to be able to uh, say, I want to be part of a texting team. I want to be part of phone or door to door. People go, the, 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 if the candidate does it right, they tell them what to say. They get two people going door to door, and they, they are able to find out who's going to vote and who's not. They offer them, uh, you know, you need a babysitter. They, they, they find out, you know, will you make a pledge to vote? They'll give them a voter guide. So, hey, all the way down the ballot, you can vote this way. Your listeners right now, they can say, I'm not going to let our our city, our county, our state, and our nation go downhill. Mm-hmm. This is a tipping point for America. I can't imagine four more years of the chaos 
and the potential of a World War III. I can't imagine four more years of high inflation and, and, and stagflation and economic chaos. I can't imagine more crime, more homelessness, more socialization in the American economy, and more censorship by the deep state and, and the federal bureaucrats being able to use the government to silence opposition like a third world nation. I cannot imagine that. And yet the person sitting there in, in Florida, they have the ability to make a change. And, and that means, for example, find a group, an organization that's going to uh, train them and mobilize them. Uh, I, I mentioned this, the Democrat National Committee is just one of many organizations where people will sign up to do a webinar and to be assigned a position. They can sign up to do a webinar on texting. They can sign up to do a webinar on going door to door. And then they give them the data. These are the people that you need to contact. And this is what you need to be able to say. Anybody can do that. They, they may not have the physical ability to go door to door. They can do the texting. They can do the phoning. And, and then those in the church, those in the church have to say, I'm going to start a group in this church to look at key issues from a biblical world view. Mm -hmm. I'm going to get the elders. I'm going to get the pastor. And I'm going to make sure that they say, yeah, this is enough. We cannot allow four more years of what's going on to happen. I'm going to tell people uh, they register to vote in a church service. I'm going to tell people in a church service they need to get their ballot in. I'm going to tell people in a church service they need to be able to vote. I'm going to ask them, how many of you are registered? How many of you have voted? I'm going to do something I've never done in a church before, but this time uh, we need to be able to be light and salt in our culture. We need to reclaim what the church did in, in, in the American Revolution that stood behind the American Revolution and, and gave the support for that. We need to be like the church that before the Civil War, the, the, it, was the, it, it was the social conscience of America that slavery was evil. And the yeah, church yeah. helped spark the, 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 the freeing of the slaves that should never have happened. You know, and the church today, the church has to be at the forefront through prayer and speaking out with courage about what people should do in their church and do the right thing. That was the voice of Craig Huey, a political analyst, always has a real spot-on viewpoint, uh, as have all of our guests today. I thank all of them for being here and being a part of this program. We have a lot to pray for in this country. And as we look at these things from a Christian worldview, my prayer is, is that we will have hope, that we will have faith, and that we will act in our consciences and get involved where we can. That's all of our time for today. Thank you for being with us. I'll see you next time on Afternoons with Mike.